Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. GreatNorthernElectric.com serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. Two zero six eight four two three six two zero. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance. We help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel, and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Test one two three. Test one two three. Don't be Mike shy now. So. Test one two three. Testing. Testing. You had to go one, against two, the flow. Three. <laughs> 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 That's Sesame Street too. <laughs> That's funny. I, this is diversity, is it not? <laughs> yes. Can't be the same. <laughs> Yo, what's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. I'm here with three friends today, Brenda, Sal, and Karen. How is everyone today? Hello. I'm doing well. Good. Doing great. All right. Everybody's good. It's good. It's good. Yes. Friday. Hey. It's Friday. Oh. I like Hey, um, we're here to talk about uh, inclusion, race equity, diversity, a little MLK, I hope. Mm-hmm. That's coming up. One of my favorite holidays to be the steward of the land. 
Um, he was a big inspiration in my life. Let's get to talking. Um, Karen. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you do in the schools. Oh, wow. Huh? Where should mic. I start? Come oh. to that mic. Come to that mic. Bring All righty. Well, um, I started working in the schools probably almost 20 years ago when I first moved here to Bainbridge Island. Um, I got involved because my children were having a difficult time in the schools. Uh, and um, they were being culturally bullied. And so I, I went up to the school district to see what was going on. Um, I, I found out that they had a multicultural advisory council there. And I pursued um, um, becoming a member. And so that started um, my work in the school. Um, we've worked on uh, multiple things. Uh, uh, we helped to create the Martin Luther King Assembly that's at the high school on Bainbridge Island uh, with the students there and uh, have continued to work within Kitsap County Schools on race equity and inclusion issues. Um, have worked down with OSPI down uh, in Olympia. What is OSPI? Uh, well, it is um, the state. Um, don't even ask me what the acronym is. But, <laughs> yeah, don't ask me what the acronym is. But they are down at the state levels and uh, they work with all the school districts within the state of Washington. So you work with multiple schools, yeah. not just here on the island? No, no. Yeah. Has it been rewarding or has it been difficult over this time? Um, it's been very rewarding, but very challenging at the same time. Uh, lots of um, lots of barriers to break down, lots of work to do concerning equity in education and how that shows up and um, what students of color uh, have to um, deal with within the educational system on an everyday basis. I don't fact check, but... I think I, I understand the numbers in, when it comes to equity in, in race here on the island. We're about 95, 97% white island. And if there's, give or take, 25,000 people, that means that the percentage, 3 to 5%, is less, th less than 1,000 people of color on this island. And to put that in perspective, that's about 1 in 33 people when you walk around out here on this island. That's so, correct. You, it's a huge it's very gap. rare you see somebody <laughs> yeah, who well, looks like you. Correct. <laughs> I, I know there's not full representation all over everywhere we go. And then there's a, a mindset that there's, there's no issue in equity here. But there's a huge gap in my mind. And there's more than just those people. There's people that come in here and work for jobs. Right. And mm -hmm. how those people walk around and get treated around this island is is alarming in my book. <laughs> I hear a lot of stories. I've been to a couple of meetings with you guys now in various groups, uh, set in and watch city council address that. How do we change that gap and not have people think that they're penalized like – Kids were, were born here, so all of a sudden they're, they're white privileged kids. Um, there's a stereotype on that, too. Um, let's talk about how we get people to understand that people view things in different lights, and there's you know, a, lot, a lot more to this discussion. Sal, you got something for me? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, basically, I first started to notice it um, within the businesses I had. So I had businesses I was serving clients, or they were coming into my facility to to have a you know to to work out, or I was a computer repairman before that. Um, and it's where I really started to notice the discrepancy. And so I think 
to, to answer the question, the way we can get into it is the way I do it is I treat the people who serve me regardless of what they are with honor and respect. I say please and thank you. I tip what I believe I should tip. Um, and I do know that, that the likelihood that um, they're a minority or maybe they are, maybe they have less than me or they're marginalized or they're coming from across the bridge to serve the people on this island, I want to treat them well. I want them to know that that I do want them here and not just to serve me, but you're my equal. You just happen to be doing this job and I do this other job. And so the way I see it is the more, the more doors I open for people that don't think I'm going to open the door for them, that's how I do it every single day. Um, I'll go get water for a group. It's like, and it's partly, it's just who I am, but it's also how I think I'm going to close that gap of you already thinking, you know who I am. And now I'm this person that did something that's totally out of the realm of what you thought I was going to do. Um, because it's just who I am. And that's just who we are to some, you know, like I'm not going to speak for everybody, but that's how I want to break down the barrier um, is with my, my work and people seeing me do it in the community. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's about telling my story to people. Uh, my, my husband always says to me, Brenda, when somebody stop, stop you on the street and they make a remark about your hair or something like that, that's five minutes that you have them to tell them about your history. You know, hair is a big opener for me, you know, because when I first moved here, it was challenging trying to find some place to get my hair done. Oh, I bet. And there's a lot of families here that have racially mixed children. So I get to tell them, you know, what I know about doing hair and how I can help them with that. But more than that, it's telling them stories that, you know, of my upbringing, how I grew up how I got here, to let them know that there's people out there who may be at a disadvantage right now, but if you hang in with them, eventually their life will change. You know, everybody just really needs one person to be there for them, and that's what I try to be. I try to be that bridge between someone who may think that they're privileged and someone who's not, to, know, to let them know that we all want the same things, for our children. We just want a safe place, you know. We want our children to have great education. We want them to have fun and not to be worried about racial issues. That should not even be something that kids have to deal with, you know. Um, us adults, we should be the ones to figure this out. Karen, do you ever get pushback from, let's say, elementary schools or um, parents of elementary kids that say, hey, the race conversation has to wait? Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, one of the things that I, I have always advocated for was that we have to begin to interrupt this narrative as early as we can in elementary, middle, and high school. And it has to be age appropriate. We understand that. But, you know, children know what's fair and what's unfair. Right. Um, you start from those foundational principles of equity and how that shows up in treating another individual, whether they're a different color or a different race or a different culture, and level that playing field and everything is fair above board. You start from that level with kids because kids understand that language. They understand... Um, um, how to be a good friend, who's a good friend and who's not a good friend. So, you know, I'm not always trying to teach it at a level that's over the children's head. You have to teach it where if you have a problem with one of your friends just because they're a different color, that 
needs to be addressed and it has to be addressed at appropriate levels whenever it shows up because it shows up across age generations and and what forth but when you start doing the work and and teaching whole history yeah. from from that standpoint from early early ed that that it is acceptable and when you humanize another culture, then then that levels the playing field. That pulls down a lot of the barriers. But because we have colonized um, the educational system and it, those systemic pieces are still in place, um, that is what continues to cause the divide. And so until we start looking at how equity shows up in education, we will continue to have this this issue. Yeah, well said. Sal, how do you think we can make this a more inclusive environment for people? I, th- I think we can make this a more inclusive environment for people, uh, one, by having – by the city and by the people within the city having acts or displays of diversity and inclusiveness. And so whether that's um, the signage as you're walking off the ferry terminal, I know we have the historical society puts the – like if there was things there that spoke to inclusiveness and diversity, um, I think as you're literally coming onto the island, that's what you're coming on to see. Uh, maybe as you pull off, uh, as you're driving off the library, or excuse me, the museum, maybe there's something there that can demonstrate inclusive and diversity so that from the moment you step foot on the island or drive onto the island from the bridge, that we're setting the tone for that. Um, maybe placards in, in businesses downtown um, or allowing something like that within the schools uh, also, I also think it's going to be a grassroots movement of our young people, um, of us facilitating young people to help spread this message if that's the message they want to spread, which I think it is for them. Um, I just don't think that they get the support from the adults in their life to make it cool to do that. Um, and I think we can absolutely make diversity and inclusion super cool um, because it is. Uh, it's been that way in my life. So, okay, Carol, do you have ideas on inclusiveness? I think Brenda, Jesus, Christ, <laughs> I think I think to that point, you know, I'm always amazed when I come to a new city somewhere and I see the different signage. You know, like the first thing I noticed when I moved here was that we share the road with horses. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. I mean, so if something like like that, maybe a picture of you know something that we we're, we have equity here, you know. Um, one of the best things that happened to me was when um, I think it was Char- Charlena Laws when she got shot um, and the kids in the high school decided to come out to Winslow Green. And I came out to that. And it was just such overwhelming love there. The kids were doing this. And, you know, for me, it was strange being I was the only black person there. All of these white people are in support of, you know, what had happened, how wrong it was. And they wanted me to know that they were there for me, you know. Um, And then there was the other time when I think the kids had written on the sidewalk, and I remember filming it. They had written that this is an inclusive spot, that we accept all people here on Bainbridge. Now, that's something that needs to be bridged between people who don't feel that way because I've had it go the other way also. But I think pretty much to Sal's point, it will be the kids that will lead us there, you know, and that's why it's so important, as Karen stated before, to start it on that level, 
It has to start early. Karen, if it starts with the kids, who who models that behavior for the kids? I thoroughly believe that the institutions, the staff, the teachers, community members, parents, uh, family, um, we all model that. You know, I, um, I can tell you that um, growing up, my family modeled certain things for me personally when, when it comes down to cross-cultural exchange. My parents would always caution us to not trust white people. And that was something that was taught in my home. So it starts in the home. You know, the perspective, the shaping of the thoughts and the fears, whether it's a bias or whether it's a prejudice or whether it's hatred, all of those things are formed very early in homes, and then it continues in every environment, whether it it continues in the school or it continues in community organizations because— Or the workplace. The workplace, everything, and it manifests itself— when we have all of this discord and I don't have to wonder if if I'm not accepted here because it is shown to me it is manifested the way you receive me or the way you reject me or the way I'm not included or the way I'm excluded or comments that's made to me or or even looking in the eyes of our children and and seeing where some children are very fearful of me, and I believe just because of my color. Uh, I can remember distinctly when I first moved here on the island, and I was in Safeway. And uh, um, there was, you know, uh, uh, a young woman there. She had three children. She had one that was sitting in the basket, one that was holding on, and the other one was totally having his way. He was going down the aisle, pulling things off, bumping into people. And mom was coming behind him saying, oh, I'm so sorry, and, you know, holding on and trying to uh, rein him in. But... When he got to me and bumped into me, what I saw from that baby's face was fear. And then he ran straight to his mother and held on and clutched her. Do you think it's a learned behavior at that age then? Because um, we're not born racist or no, no, biased. No, I don't think we're born that way. It's what we have and have not been exposed to. I believed in, in uh, and I felt really bad that this child probably had never come in contact with a black person. Yeah. And and so he he his response was fear because he had never been in 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 a relationship or even in community where he had contact with somebody from a different culture. So, so if I can, let me let me tell you how that happened as an adult. I grew up in New York City. I moved to upstate, two hours north of the city, um, which was there was still a good mix of people, but it was certainly more Caucasian as you go further upstate. Um, it becomes less urban, uh, and then I moved here, and so I was very comfortable with going to visit my mom in Queens, getting off the subway on the L train, bad neighborhood. I'll t- that's where I grew up. I, I actually loved it. Um, six months after moving here, I went to visit my mom. And I, when I got 
in the, the train station. Different feeling. I, I, was a, I was scared. I was scared to death. That was the feeling is that I was scared. I was scared something bad was going to happen to me. I was scared that these people, you know, whoever was around me didn't like me. I didn't relate to them anymore. What changed? I had lived on Bainbridge Island for six months straight, mm -hmm. and I had probably left the island twice to go to Home Depot. That is what changed. Like, so literally, the osmosis of me being here, and I'm kind of shaking as I'm talking about it now because I remember it. Like, I just remember being like, <sighs> when I got out of the subway station, because I had to like, because I knew that how I felt wasn't really me. It was what I was starting to become. Um, and what I was starting to become was scared. And so when Karen just said, the fear, it was fear, like that I was afraid. I didn't dislike these people. I was just afraid. Um, and I had become afraid because I had been isolated and not been around those things. Um, and so fear came out of that for me. So, um, In reverse, um, has any of you felt scared being in such a dominant white place? I think for me, um, you know, when I, when I first moved here, I thought, <clears throat> I thought everything was okay. You know, and that's, that's part of the problem. I get to a point in my life where I feel safe and then something, boom, something will happen. And that's what happened. I went to Silverdale and went to the movies and a guy behind me was, you know, just being belligerent and calling me all out of my name. And I kept thinking, <laughs> You know, why would you come see Black Panther if you don't like black people? <laughs> it was just a crazy, funny thought I had. But I was terrified enough to get up out of the theater and walk out. And they had to literally call the police on this guy, you know. So I get, you know, it's kind of like up and down. When I think I'm safe, that's when I'm really scared, right? Because I don't know where it's coming from next. I just don't know. It just comes from out of the blue, you know. Um, so, yeah, I understand the fear. And it's, it's, it's something that happens to you over time when you're walking down the street and people move their child out of the way. You know, like, I'm going to grab it. They put their hand on I'm their gonna, wallet. I'm going to grab it and eat it. Or I call them the clutchers. They clutch themselves close to each other, you know, and I don't feel like I'm you know, that overbearing that I, I look like I'm that threatening, you know, but I can see it. And I think over time, when people react to you that way, you start feeling that there's something wrong with you, you know, like what is wrong with me that, you know, I, that make you think that I'm going to hurt you or your, or your child. Wow. I mean, you would think a your lovely smile would disarm anybody. I try to smile all the time, too. <laughs> that's, that's why I smile so much. I, I smile too. so much. I, I put my hands, I cross my hands even now. Like, I'm sitting here right now, my hands are crossed on my lap. Like, that is a learned behavior. I yeah. do that so people don't brand me as aggressive. I do that so wow. if I move my hands and I'm talking and I have big hair and I'm sharing my opinion and it's not yours and you don't like it, I'm, I'm aggressive, I'm this, I'm, and so... I, I got asked by somebody the other day, uh, do you have any fears about ever running for a public office here or anything like that, being out super in the public here? And I said, yeah. And they said, what is it? And I said, my public safety, my safety, my personal safety. Um, uh, and it's because it's I think that's a really real thing here. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we talk a lot in message groups online and stuff, and you see some people just come out of the blue with the most for lack of a better expression, off-color remarks, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, this is a waste of city council time. This is a waste of anybody's time. We don't have a race problem. Build a bridge, get over it. You fool yourself. 
I read those comments. I restrain from getting into that because I'd rather offer a venue like this. Mm-hmm. If And we thank you for that, seriously. Yes. Any, anytime. You guys are always welcome. If you have a clickbait conversation there versus a conversation face-to-face like we are, whether you have a difference of opinion from me, so be it. At least we're having an honest conversation face-to-face, and it's a long conversation. It's not a one sentence, you know, let me tell you how stupid you are. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how ugh, tongue-tied here on a Friday, a little under the weather. Um, City Council has decided to form an equity task force, and they've put out applications in the community. How do you guys see that shaping up? Well, I personally... Um, You're leading the chariot. Go ahead. <laughs> I personally, I am I'm thankful and I'm overwhelmed by the support that has come and, and rallied around um, at least having a task force and really looking and addressing some of the issues that our community um, has had to face many of the uh, cultural exchanges that has taken place here on Bainbridge over the years have not been healthy ones. And um, I think that the community is now um, healthy enough to say we have to address these issues and we can no longer uh, continue to just hide them and tuck them under the rug, they, that they must be addressed. I, I think that best thing that's come out of this so far is having a safe place to talk yes Mm -hmm. this podcast is a a safe place we're sharing this conversation for others to hopefully be inspired learn from or disagree with absolutely we had meeting at islandwood recently and it was nice to see about 40 people out there oh yes and some people broke down and had tears and told some very strong stories and we had this safe spot to discuss And I think out of everything, if we have a task force that we just meet together and share, you know, our problems going through our everyday life, and then they become more aware for everybody, we could probably benefit from this task force. Absolutely. How do you see city council's uh, role in it? So I think that uh, the public's role along with city council will be to kind of organize the thoughts of the city and the citizens to say, do we think we have a race equity or equity problem? Um, If we do, where does it show up? How do we... How do we help that show up? How can we stop helping that show up? Uh, and so I think that for my, for me, the goal of the task force would be to do some deep diving and information gathering so that we can have a place so that we can possibly give suggestions of what the city or the citizens or groups around it might be able to do to help. Um, I certainly think that podcasts like this, the conversation you were talking about that we had at, at Islandwood with the 40 people, um, the race equity network meetings, uh, the the meeting we had in the map room the next week after the first city council meeting with Matt Tierman and um, Ron, these are creating spaces um, that are safe enough for people to come out um, and, and even looky-loos. Um, and so for me, 
that's amazing. Like I, um, the people that agree with us agree with us. I'm I, and I want their help, and and I think that the task force can help to to bring some validity to this issue um, because then there'll be some information and numbers behind it. Uh, clearly, the council is supporting it, saying yes, we do see this as an issue, and yes, we do think we should do something about it. Um, so I think for me, that's the goal of the task force, or how the city can help move that issue forward in a progressive, real way. What are some tangible solutions? Like, let's say the city council says yes to the task force. We meet for six months. We can draw some conclusions about inclusiveness and equity. What take action thing, you know, financial or physical or spiritual, how does city council now take the information that we gather from the conversations that we have in Wren and other places AKA the bystander podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> I like it. So we, so we wrap, we have these talks, we have these emotions, we organize and we turn in our sheet and say, this is what's cracking. Now, what do we expect to happen? What does that look like? I guess. I think we want to <clears throat> come away with um, some ideas for how do we become more inclusive you know, how do we see other people like us on city council? You know, how do we see other people like us in um, the police department, the fire department? You know, that's that's something I'm looking for. I'm looking to see more people of color work for the city of Bainbridge Island. So I want to know what are they, you know, one of my asks is what are we doing about recruiting people of color? And how um, inclusive are we making the island so that they want to come here? What about the argument that there's just not a big enough pool to draw from? If there's only one in 33 people of color here, where do we find the the? Well, we hire hire from off island all the time. We have to go on national. So so for the police chief, perfect example. But not city council. No, but but, you're talking about specifically members on the council? How do we get that inclusiveness represented at a government level? We start this conversation and people like me or anybody sitting next to me or in this room go apply to be on the four four spots that are open in 2019 on city council. We start with the task force and then we learn what we can learn and then we keep, you know, we start with the city council next. Yeah, I think that as the process goes on, you'll see who... At the city level, if we're just talking about the council, who will want to help and participate in right. in the city becoming a place that looks more like everybody, not just necessarily them? And I think for some people that may be, hey, I'm willing to give up my seat at the table because I can work at this at a different angle and support somebody who could be more representative to more people here. Um, I, I think that there's people on the city council that support topics that overlap with each other, meaning they, they all, some of them agree on a lot of that stuff. Um, I've never, I don't know about anybody who is, you know, who's working um, at Brashado there, who's on the city council, who rents on the island. Like, I don't think anybody, and I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody on that council represents those type of people. I don't think anybody on that council represents marginalized to some degree, like right now in their life people. Um, so that's just I would love to see those type of people being able to be represented on a real level. So issues like parking or the issues that affect people who don't have much, who are just maybe barely making it here, can have some representation. Um, and it's to me, that issue isn't necessarily going to be, please don't cut down this tree 
or I'm going to fine you X thousands of dollars. Like I get it. And I get that that's a real issue for people. Yeah. But like the, there's also people who are literally just don't want to be discriminated against when they're, when they're serving somebody who lives on Bainbridge Island, who has a nice tree on their property. So to me, that's the crux of some of what we need to get to. They're out there. There's definitely some people Absolutely. that walk around here with some serious privilege problems. A uh, guy cut in front of me at TNC because he had one item. So I put my stuff on my little conveyor belt. I only had six or seven items. I was going up to the pen pad to pay. He just put his stuff on the thing, scanned it, paid in front of me. That's hard. Didn't even look at yep. me. Just bossed me out. And I was just like, <laughs> all right, I got time. Go funny. on with your bad self. I don't like you, though. Well, you know, it's not that simple because we're no. talking about institutionalized racism. You're talking about the structural of our government, of of our schools, and uh, of organizations. And that is a whole totally different uh, challenge to be able to address those oppressive systems that have been put in place uh, over uh, centuries. So how do we begin to interrupt that piece? I know we're talking about hiring practices, but what about housing? Just having it equitable that people, anyone could have a home, a roof over their head. There's not affordable housing here on, on Bainbridge. In a lot of places. And, and, and in a lot of communities. Mm-hmm. But where do you begin to at least address the issues? Because here on Bainbridge, it's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. Because they have plenty of resources. What have they made available? What opportunities have they created for those that are, that have less? Even our teachers don't even live here. Right. They've got our to, policemen don't. Our, yes, our service um, department and humanities. They they're not here. Mm-hmm. You know. So let's look at it from from that lens. How do you even create those that actually labor and work here every day to have? a place where they can afford to live. You know, that to me comes from a place of privilege. And and there was something that was said. Uh, a woman was saying, well, if they can't afford to live here, maybe they just need to go and move somewhere else. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Is that your response? It's a very welcoming attitude, isn't it? Oh, it's very. Uh, but it let me know, you know, if you're not in this elite class or if you're not in this category, that, you know, you don't have a place here. Excuse me. I'm fall closer. Yeah. Yeah, I just want yeah. your words to be hear- heard, Karen. Yeah. So. Um, and, and to me, that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, if, you, if you're widening this gap... Um, when it comes down to poverty, when it comes down to basic needs and of, of providing a home and, and being able to provide equitable education or equitable jobs here that, that you want within your hiring practices, because that's where, that's where it begins. Um, you're going to have this culture remain the same until you start at that grassroots, at that, that, that foundational level do you think there is a a group of people that want to keep it like that oh yes i did too i ran into somebody the other day and i was talking about 
what I'm getting into right now with with all this. And they said, hey, I moved here to be away from brown people. It's their problem. And I was like, what the hell did you just say? Yeah, I've definitely had say that to me. I've definitely had people oh, say yes. and I And I've had people say that to me because they literally are looking at me like I'm about to identify with them. Right. And so – and. You know, sometimes I'll say something and sometimes I just keep looking at them and let them speak. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't I don't think there's a conspiracy. Um, I think no, that there's that there's people thinking. who like things a certain way and who have stuff and who don't want that in, uh, disturbed. Um, mm-hmm. And I can understand that. Um, and, and I think there's some people here with some hard opinions of people and how to treat other people. And I, I can understand that that exists. You know, I don't love it, but I understand it exists. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think it's. um. Yeah, I don't think there's this big cabal behind it. But at the same time, I also think that that if we talk about hiring practices in the city or anything like that or schools, anybody who has a job that may be on the chopping block, if they're not doing their job amazingly well and some and other candidates start to be able to come into the fray, they might just want to protect that. And so I think that instinctually people want to protect what they have already, whether it's their job or their um, – and they may not understand how that contributes to – you know, ongoing systemic issues, but I think it does. Um, but I've wanted to protect my job and my way of thinking as well, so I can understand it from that perspective. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about this um, housing resource situation. I think we have a couple hundred units of affordable housing on the island, and that that's okay and in line for the county. There's not apartments for that mid-level person that works here either, let alone vacancy, let alone affordability in renting. I don't know if you guys know this, but Northtown Woods, when that was built, was affordable housing. And now those houses are probably million-dollar houses because of a certain system that allows it to go from low income to now property value. Yeah. And those houses are a lot bigger than my house. I know that. Um, I'm fortunate that I'm a homeowner here on this island, but it was because I was flush at the worst time in America (laughs) and it gave me the opportunity to get a small piece of the pie. Other than that, I would be in that same situation just like everybody else. And if you're starting to come up from a a low level, like you've had a turn in your life, you know, a a death, an addiction, a, a loss of job, um, something tragic has happened to put you in a situation and it's not 100% con- in your control, how do you even get up? And then how do you progress? And then how do you become that American dream, that home homeowner type person? Well, you, you don't start here doing that. It's just... <laughs> That's just not going to happen. Um, you don't I, give the I, other team a 100-point lead before you start playing? <laughs> no. I mean, you. there is no entry point, you know. You, you have to already be entering at that level. Um, <clears throat> so for me, I know when I first moved here, there was an article in, in the paper that said, if you have any extra space in your house, over your garage, please consider renting it out to some of our teachers, our policemen, you know, our firefighters, because, you know, there just wasn't enough room. Um, And even with that, I see that those type of spots are still expensive, you know. But I think people here, because I come from Detroit, right? So people here won't 
get it. They won't feel it until their service people go away. When there's nobody to cut the grass, you know, there's, there's no au pairs. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, I think this is a au pair island sometimes. <laughs> there won't be any of those unless they're willing to let them, you know, stay there and, and pay for their housing or something because some au pairs make big money, you know. Yeah, and some is a cultural exchange and yeah, student I exchange. Mean, but, I'm all for that. But the people that, you know, like are dishwashers and things like that, when, when we start seeing that there's a, a shortage of people to serve the elite, you know, that's when they will get it. And it's, it's starting to happen. You know, when people have to, if you look at the ferry when it comes in in the morning, who's getting off that ferry coming here to work? Mm -hmm. You know, those are brown people coming here to do the things that other people don't want to do. Right. The highway in the morning, who's coming onto the island? Right. Yeah. You know, so until we understand the dynamics and, and what's really going on and are willing to just treat people like people, you know, I, I think about that and I say to myself, you know, I don't, there is enough to go around. <laughs> that's that's one of my biggest things. There's enough to go around. There's nobody here that's going to take all of your goodies from you. You have enough, more than enough goodies to share with other people, you know, because, you know, I'm just so grateful where I am in my life that I'm, once you get full of that gratitude, if you've had diversity, you know, and things that happen in your life that really knocked you down, and you're able to get back up, and somebody helped you. you you're so grateful that you're willing to help somebody else. That that's learning empathy. Yeah, you know, for sure. You know, and they don't think enough of us have it for others. Right. Yeah. You got to be able to um, see that other people are worthy, not treat them like throwaway people. Brenda, you've lived in a, quite a few places. Um, tell me the difference of your living standards uh, at at different times in your life, and how they compare here and now and um what you see was was good transitional empathy saying that hey yes we're we're welcoming here we weren't welcoming there um there was a racial divide here but not there this is the thing that we did to get over it or it was just not existent give me some history well, about some places you know, that you lived it, when i lived in detroit it was more of a but you know those were the days where neighborhoods were community places, you know, you could um, do something wrong at school. And before you get home, there's five neighbors who've chastised you for doing something wrong. And, and that's okay with your parents, you know, then you get it really from them when you get there. Yeah. And you guys can give me a call if you see my kids. Step my line <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, before I left Detroit, it wasn't like that. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't want to say anything to the children, especially because they were the ones that was running things. You know, the gangs and everything was like that. So by the time I moved here, you know, I hadn't been around a lot of other cultures. You know, black people was all I knew, you know. So being thrown into the world of work and seeing how things were different and how, you know, I was used to not talking about what your kids was doing, going to college and vacations that you took. No, that was not the vocabulary that I had. Yeah, I don't it, have it either. Like, did you go to Cancun over the break? Or, right, you know, yeah. Like, that what was, the hell are you talking about? You know who you're talking to? It's <laughs> foreign to me. Like, no, I didn't go anywhere. You know, I no, stayed in staycation. bed or whatever. Right. 
So coming here and and trying to um, be comfortable with myself, I I learned a few tricks. <laughs> you know, I brought some of those street skills with me. You know, and that's it's good and bad. You know, because I had to build up a bad girl persona just so people wouldn't think that I was such a pushover, especially in business, right? <laughs> so I, I I became this this bad girl that nobody really wanted to, you know, try to take out, you know. But I was also the troublemaker. I was the one in the in the board meetings that would just say, well, why? Why are we doing that? You know, I was good about going against the status quo. And that's kind of what made me rise up the ladder, really, because I was able to do that. Um, but as far as seeing a difference in different peoples, I, I didn't see the welcoming here. They talk about the, the, Seattle free, the, the Seattle freeze and all of that. I didn't see that welcoming, you know, people welcoming me in. But because I already have a network of recovery people, I was able to find my people, <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of helped me out more than anything. So I, ha- I have a little thing that I always do when I see somebody <laughs> with a tourist map. Yeah. I run right up to them. Yeah. How you doing? Where, where are you looking to go? Yeah. And that starts the conversation. And that started around Pike Place when I lived on first for a long time. And then I see it coming off the ferry now. And before I was, I was very... Uh, uh, Two tells. If you have an umbrella, mm-hmm. you're not from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you have a map, you're not from here. So I used to be like, uh, I'd have a bias against people that were toting uh, umbrellas and maps. I'd be like, you're a nuisance, right? And now I've completely changed that thought process to, I'm empathetic to them. The the bumper shoot, the umbrella is probably their way of staying dry. I'm the layered guy. Like I get wet like a duck and shed it and go on. And I can take five minutes because I know the area and say Bruchado is here. You know, the museum's there, whatever. Well, that's how I knew that I was living here, (laughs) (laughs) that I belonged because I knew I could tell people, well, yeah, you can go here. Why don't you, you know, if you're visiting from someplace else and you got one day, these are the things you should do. Right. You know, I love that. You know, I love to be able to share this, you know, with everybody that comes here, you know. But um, yeah, I have, a, I have a pride for my community. When oh, yeah. I see somebody get off the ferry, walk down the retail strip, turn around, walk back and spend an hour and a half there. I'm like, you didn't really get it. No. <laughs> you. This is a wonderland, a paradise in a lot of ways. And if you, if you don't see the beach, if you don't get in the woods... If you don't go for a kayak ride, you know, you're really missing out. Karen, you doing all right over there? I'm hanging in there. Um, got a couple of challenges today, but, you know, one of the things that um, I think that I have learned living just here in this community is you really have to connect with the people. I I've learned that. Um, I have to go into certain spaces and I have to discern the mentality or even the culture in that. Uh, and I've had to learn how to code switch, you know. Um, and when I what say does that code, mean? oh, child, let's get into this coding. <laughs> Tell me. So, so um, most of our children, they, they understand 
the language uh, of body language. And so our children code. And, and I've had to learn how to code here on, on this island. When I first got here, I couldn't be too black. If I was too black, I was unaccepted. Is that a thing, too black? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh my God, what you talking? You can be too much anything on this island. Too loud, too black, too boisterous, too too bold. Too New York. Too, too feminine. Too, yes, speak. I mean, we really talking here? Yes, this okay. is a safe spot. Okay, this is a safe spot. Okay, yes. Uh, you can be too anything. And so, you know... One of my my children, he was told that oh he was too he was too black. He needed to tone himself down, and I said, uh, uh, where did you get that from? Well, my teachers they said, oh that's unacceptable behavior, and I said, what was the behavior? He said I was too loud. That I needed to tone that down, and I said, well were you like? being boisterous in the class he says no i was talking like everybody else but when i talk i was too loud i said okay so so we have to address some of those issues because when our kids are in environments what happens is you know they're just playing like the other kids but when uh a uh, young person of color is playing then he needs to go down to the principal because he's distracting the class and that's not okay. So you you feel like there's a lot of stereotypes going against. Oh yes, the biases, the stereotypes, you know, and we can't get away with it because one of the things I've always said is how were you brought up? Because if you were brought up in that type of mindset or that type of mentality, it's going to come out. It's going to manifest itself, whether you're in the classroom or whether you're on the job or whether you're in the community. Those things, you know, that's why we've got to do some work on ourselves and deal with this cross-cultural pieces, the racial pieces, the implicit biases, all of those things. And until we start unpacking our own stuff. This stuff is going to continue, and we've got to do we've got to do the work. If we're really trying to change things, we have to start with ourselves, because I I had them I I and I still have stuff I got to work on, because I do get in certain environments, and no, I don't trust uh, on white folks, especially when they prove and show to me that uh, show me that I'm unacceptable. So, so then I, I take a different mindset. I start thinking back in those unhealthy thoughts that surface, you know, are, are they really being racist? Are they this? Are they that? So I go back to those labelings as well. Mm-hmm. But all of that is triggers from how a person is treating you, you know, where you, you say, okay, that's cool. And then you get with somebody else and you say, well, what, what's that all about? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to put it in those terms because it is about our behavior and what's inside our hearts that it starts coming out. If, if, if let me tell you something. One of the things say, you know, oh, you're racist. Let's, let's not talk about racist. Just talk about our prejudice and our hatred and our unforgiveness and all those other things because those are the reasons why. But we put, we put a label on and we call it racist. No, your hatred manifests 
against another culture and it shows up as and you label it as racist. But no, you're dealing with your own hatred and prejudice against someone else that might be a different color or a different race or a different culture. Let's not let's let's try to get away from the race thing and deal with some inner stuff that we need to start dealing with and right. call it what it is. And there's so many labels, you know, and labels and acronyms start yeah. to grow and grow and grow and grow and Let's talk about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You know, what is white supremacy? Is that, you know, David Duke? Did you hear the news this morning that the, there's, a, I think there's a governor or somebody who's in the Senate who just said this morning or last night, um, what's, when, did it, when did it become not okay to say white supremacists or white nationalists? And so that conversation was, you know, which one of the senators or, or the, you know, which, which one of the, the people are, who's going to stick with them and who's not? Um, who's going to, you know, who's going to go down with the sinking ship of somebody who kind of keeps saying comments like that? Yeah, that's bold. Um, but that literally was the news this morning. Well, you know, Karen is, <clears throat> she's always telling us about the different language that people use. Yes, and thank you for that. The different language that, you know, becomes acceptable, but we really know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? It's like with me, when I hear something, I don't automatically think that person is being racist it's usually after i've i've gone away from it and i thought about it and i'm like why why were they treating me that way you know then i have to unpack it and say well wait was i okay you know i go right to me first was i all right did i provoke that kind of you know and then it takes me like two three sessions of that before i get to oh maybe they were racist so you're <laughs> you like having I mean? therapy in your own yeah, head I gotta, for yourself i gotta figure me out maybe it was you know because we talked about this at um, a seminar I went to, how, you know, the little slights that you get every day, how that affects you over time. Yeah, the little ticks are just little notches yeah. on you. And before you break. know it, you're walking in a neighborhood and nobody's saying anything to you, but you're telling yourself, am I okay? Do I look threatening? Should I take my hood off? You know, but because over time... You know, this is what you've heard. So you, you, you try to talk yourself into thinking that you're okay. Yeah. You it's know? negative reinforcement. It though. is. It is. And it's, it's every, you know, every person's nightmare. Wake up in the morning and try to figure out, do I have to go to Silverdale today? Okay, how should I be? <laughs> you know, should I, you know, it's that being too black thing. You know, what am I there for? If I'm there for a good reason, I should be able to go, you know. I'm, the institutionalism for me, and I think I can speak for the three people at this table right now, is that we actually consider those things every single day. Every, I've, every single day I think about how do I not look threatening to somebody? How do, like, where do I put my hands? Um, who's driving by me? Did that cop turn around even though I'm like doing nothing? I could be parked. It doesn't matter. It like, it really doesn't matter. And it's as simple as this. Anybody who's listening or anybody who's anywhere that might ever hear this, I invite anybody to just be in the grocery store at the same time as any one of us three mm-hmm. and just watch the people watch us. I'm hungry. Watch the I'll people. Go. Like, <laughs> like we could go to town and country right now. People stand on the top where you can eat and all that stuff. Mm. And just have us walk around and see and look at the people's faces. Look how they move to the right or left. I was there getting soup for this lady yesterday. And, and I walked and, you know, I was walking behind a lady and she went to pick up something on the right. And so I went left because she went right. And then she quickly picked whatever up, turned around left and saw that I was there and like snarled at me. 
Um, and and, and my, my, my guess is this, and this is really what I think is, I think if I was a 50-year-old white man, that wouldn't have happened. That's, my, that like, that's as plain as I can say it when people ask me what discrimination looks like for me. It's, I just think if I'm a 55-year-old white man or a 50-year-old white man or woman, that, that most of this stuff doesn't occur to me, Mo- meaning it won't even happen. Like, I won't get the looks. I won't get the grab bags. I won't get the, you can't come in here. Like, and so, so that's how I would say it exists. And if you need proof, like, literally just walk. I've had somebody walk behind me in, in Safeway because they didn't believe it. And they believed it by the time I was done walking through Safeway. And yeah. so it, it's really that simple. If you want the proof, it's there. Like everybody, Bob Drago. So let's just do that, right? Like no, uh, if you want, sorry, the, we you can't can cut say it his out. name. That's fine. <laughs> so so we cut it out. So so whoever might say, I want specific examples, come to any one of these meetings that we're having. Come to any one of where we're talking about any of this stuff. The MLK. You will hear specific examples of how it happens every single day. If you really want that proof, please, like we we want you to have it because we don't want you to argue with us that it doesn't exist. Right, you know, it's it's sort of like climate so change. Many it stories. just does. Yeah, yeah. So many stories at the meetings of actual situations that have mm-hmm. happened. You know, within the week, mm-hmm. within the day, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's talk about a little bit about uh, the MLK celebration. When is that? Where is that? And what's happening there? So the actual celebration that Ren is doing um, is going to be on the twentieth. It's let's, on a Sunday. Let's back up. Let's yeah. let's tell everybody what that acronym stands for. Race Equity Network. That's what that's what Ren stands for. Yes. Was that what the one we're asking for? Yeah. MLK. I, I, Martin Luther King. King. <laughs> Junior. BHM. Junior. Black yeah. History Month. Yes. Those those are the acronyms you'll hear hopefully right on. in this conversation. Um, so so on the twentieth, which is a Sunday, we have an event that lasts from four to around eight p.m. Um, there'll be activities there for kids between the hours of four and six. So there's some art activities, and basically what we're trying to do is honor MLK. Um, honor the Race Equity Network and how his work helped us to eventually get here, um, and then to try to, to exhibit that through art, through stories, through music, and things of that nature. Karen can also speak a lot more to this. Is there a few speakers, Karen? Oh, yes. We've got performers. We, we have speakers. Uh, yep, I'll be there telling my story. We'll also have um, some people from... Um, Suquamish Tribe will be there. Um, Brenda is her name. Yep, Brenda Fantra Johnson is me. Um, oh, no, no. I think the lady who was coming from the tribe was named her. <laughs> oh, her, her name, name is Brenda, Brenda too. Well. I'm, I'm pretty sure. But yes, this is Where's Brenda Carol come into this? Oh, no, it's too many Brendas You're, and Carol. You told us. <laughs> so, uh, Brenda, tell them about your Imagine Me book. Okay, so I wrote this book, Imagine Me. It's a memoir, and I wrote it a year, two years ago. It's about um, me growing up in Detroit um, during the race riots, during when Martin Luther King got killed, and you know how I experienced uh, racial issues and poverty. Um, my mother died young, um, so I was pretty much um, just thrust out there by myself. Um, and you know, it's it's a it's a hard story, but. Um, it details everything I went through. I mean, I didn't leave anything out in that book. It's 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 a rough story about what happens when there is um, no supervision, um, per se. And, you know, so the stories that I tell in there um, speak to uh, women's issues, you know, especially now with the Me Too and um, abuse and, you know, domestic violence and those type of things. Um, but it also um, shows that no matter what happens to you, um, if you have some belief in 
um, God and in uh, what's right and true, you know, which I, I always remembered what my mama told me. She said, you have to believe in God and you have to go to school if you're going to get out the ghetto. And, you know, it took me a long time for that to, you know, solidify in my brain after I went through all of the, you know, drugs and everything else. But eventually I rose up to um, become <clears throat> one of the um, only black women to have some of the security certifications that I have. And I got a master's degree, moved out here to Washington and started climbing mountains and did Rainier and went to Everest and Everest Base Camp, 17,000 feet. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, so now I'm working on my second book, which uh, talks a lot about those climbs that I did. And um excited about it you know it's it's um I didn't know I was a climber didn't know I was a writer you know I don't know what I'm gonna do next <laughs> it's like yeah it's it's I just never amazing. knew I could do a podcast there you go you never know it's 13 months later I'm sitting here with you <laughs> hopefully making positive change in you my are. community oh, you are you are oh you are well thank you you no, guys are... and I, I need to say that because you know change has to be intentional. I mean, we have to do some visioning on how we're going to implement or or move it into a place of existence. But uh, we all can be the change. You know, all of us have that opportunity to make an impact to transform our community. That can happen. But you have to be intentional about it. And then you have to think about how it will happen. What areas do you want to make that impact? Do you want to do uh, cultural exchanges so that people get familiar with with building relationships cross-culturally and, and those type of things? Because um, we've been doing this work for quite a while. And it's now that I'm inspired even the more because of the coming together to do the work. You know, we've been divided for so long. When we come together, we're stronger together. When we can come together and, and, and build those healthy relationships. And it won't happen until we do that. You know, it, we can have this grandiose thought, but until I actually come and spend some time with you, and and sit down and have these type of conversations with you, mm -hmm. that's transformational. It might be grassroots, but we have to cultivate that, and we have to cultivate the change. If we want to really change the culture here on the island, well, let's sit back and have a real good conversation of what that might look like in celebration or in events or in our workplaces, in our schools. What does that really look like? You know, I ask the Multicultural Advisory Council all the time. We're talking about equity in education. Well, can you tell me what that looks like? Explain to me exactly how that's going to show up in the educational system. Is it with curriculum? Are you going to change curriculum? Are you going to teach whole history? Are you going to transform the environment that the environment itself, the actual building, um, speaks to culture diversity? Give me something. Give me something tangible that we can work towards that physical, mental and spiritual change because you've gonna you're gonna have to do this work on all levels because a lot of this work is moral based, you, you what you believe and and how you treat 
your fellow human being. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I get emotional and I get as, as passionate about about the work, but that's that's the real work. Yeah, this is our third long conversation that we've had, and I've looked forward to having this conversation all the time. And you bring up some points right away. I'm not a big acronym guy, but I do have a couple sayings that I talk about with my kid, and and one is team. You know, together everyone achieves more. It really takes a a group that is willing willing to do things. Another thing that I've said so much that every time I mess up, my kid always throws in my face, and I'm super proud that he does. He, he's dead. Be the change you want to see in others. And that little saying coming out of a little toddler's mouth, be the change you want to see, gets you, gets you emotional, you know? You're like, hey, he gets it. And um, I like teaching this type of style. I mean, I try to take him to Seattle every week, um, walk the streets, take the transit, public transit, um, know what a bus pass is. He's playing soccer out in Tacoma. You know, I, I seek out diversity off this island for him so he has a greater appreciation for all cultures he's talking about going to vietnam now because he was learning about vietnam in school that's cool and it's so different because i remember when i was his age the Viet Cong was the enemy and we had publicity shots on on the three tv stations hate this race, hate this race. And then it went to the Cold War in Russia, and it was Russians on the TV all the time. Hate Russians, hate Russians. But there's no backstory to tell me what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then it just keeps going on. It's another war, Iran-Contra affair, you know, and now it's the wall, and <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. And instead of this segregation, I'd like to have, you know, inclusion. And these conversations help. I think you're doing um, literally what every single person who could possibly hear this or not even hear this could do. Like you're facilitating a discussion. That's it. Like that's all you got to do. Like nobody, you don't even have to have the discussion with any particular outcome in mind, except that the outcome is a a few people got around a table and talked about something that was probably going to be uncomfortable for a few minutes. And then maybe you got up and everybody was still uncomfortable and you left, but you'll probably have a better understanding of where people are with that stuff. Um, Whether it's, Asking your kids what they think this means. Whether do you know what discrimination means? Do you have any idea? What does it mean to you? Um, and it, the kid doesn't have to be any color. The parent doesn't have to be any color. I think that um, I think the onus is on people of color to 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 do the work to get what we're looking for. If that's what we're asking for, um, I don't think it's to get gifted something. That's that's not at all what I'm asking for. All I've ever asked for, and all I really want, is an opportunity. And then I want you to not. I want you to get out of the way of my opportunity. First, I need to know the opportunity's there and that it's equal for all of us. Um, and then I just want the least amount of like speed bumps as possible. And so as I've gone through this process, what I figured out is that there's not a lot of information out there. That There are a lot of rules that help people like us, but the information's not out there about how to apply them personally or professionally. Um, and so then when you go to ask the people who might have those rules, they don't necessarily know what the rules are or what are they, and they just know they have to follow them. AKA the city. Um, so, so that's in, in this personal journey for me, it's been one trying to find out the information um, so that I can finally do something with it. And, and to me, just being able to get that information is an opportunity. I need to educate myself. Um, and unless I have a million dollars in the bank, I can't hire a lawyer to go find out this stuff for me. Um, and so for me, that's where the marginalization and that's where it really shows up is in, is in hiding the facts from me. 
Um, and then, and then when I find out the facts, and if I call a fact out, saying, "Well, you, you know, we're making me come back ten times to address the actual fact." Um, that's how I would love to see it go away. But I think all that can start to happen with simple conversations that don't have to be anywhere as detailed as this one. Um, that can be a simple question that everybody asks at dinner tonight. Yeah, I, I hope this is my contribution: is continuing to have conversations like this, sharing it with other people, sharing the ideas, sharing the conflict. Um, just telling stories about how we really feel in an honest way. And it reminds me a little bit of, you know, we were talking about kids and learned behavior. And I'm around kids a lot because of sports. And I I hear the, oh, that's racist. That's racist. That's racist. A lot of comments like that. But I, I do feel like kids are understanding the difference. Um, like somebody pointed out, hey, the Asian kid over there. And my son was like, you meant the kid in the blue shirt, didn't you? Yeah. And it was just a different way of phrasing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So m- my son was hip to, you know, talking in a different vocabulary, I guess, in a different way. Me being 52, you know, and having all my history, I grew up talking a, a certain way, different things happen in society. But now I'm at an age where I need to reprogram my thoughts, how I speak my body language when I talk to people and how they receive me and to show empathy for all people with all problems, whether it be a, a racial problem, uh, missing a limb, yeah, you know, down problems. on their luck, yeah. whatever. E- equity for all. all. Yeah. Big yeah. human re- race fan. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about how you took your son and immersed him in other environments and cultures and, and, and exposing him. One of the things, um, I think it was back in, in the late 90s that um, Maria Rivera, she was part of the Multicultural Advisory Council, and she was the multicultural specialist for the Bainbridge Island School District. We were doing cultural exchanges over in Seattle and Tacoma. And um, when we tried to take some of our students over uh, to Seattle, um, we found that our young people here had a very difficult time. They were very fearful in those environments. And that, that, that was really the aha moment for me, just seeing their response, mm-hmm. being in a predominant African-American school. And they were very uncomfortable. But my question as we did the reflection was, you felt very uncomfortable going there. How do you think we feel coming here? Did you ever think about that? How how you, you didn't know how to be in that space because you felt like... You're an outsider. You didn't belong. Right. And so I, I always say, how are we actually exposing our young people to be able to live in a global society that is very diverse? Because one thing I do know, our young people here on the island go to many different countries. Yeah, They're exposed to many different cultures, but they don't know how to be with African-Americans, Hispanics, or anyone right here in their own country. To me, that's, that, 
that needs to be looked at, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, that that speaks more to racial division versus just a cultural being uncomfortable. Because they can go, they can go to Africa. They've gone all over the world, and and they felt very comfortable being immersed in those cultural exchanges, you know whether it was for pleasure or whether it was for school exchanges and everything else. But there is a definite difference when there is a cultural exchange with with those of different nationalities right here in our own nation. And I, I, I really want to explore that piece with our young people right here because— I've I've lived here long enough to see they they have spring break, winter break, and they're they're jetting off to all kinds of countries. Yeah, that like Ometepe yes. is about the the only thing that I see you know culturally explained in the school system because it's our sister island. Yes, um, and there's lots of opportunities there, and they send some people over here. We send some people over there, but we could definitely expand on that. The Japanese culture, the Filipino culture. There's a lot of a lot of history here on the island, and it needs to be continually discussed because that history is being whittled away, you know, with the the age of people and less of those demographics. Well, you know, one of the things that you know I have um, diligently tried to to preserve is the footprints of communities of color here on on Bainbridge. Because when I first moved here, I would inquire, have where's the African-American community? And their response would be to me, well, African-Americans don't live here. And, and I said... Uh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's one of the things I said, well, you know, you you continue to tell me that there weren't any African Americans. I said, but we were here in pioneer days. You know, we worked over here, you know, on this island with the military. With you know, we were here, definitely here. So I've had to to dig them up out of the grave. You know, yeah. people don't even know that there was a world class uh fighting match that was here back in 1906 with African-Americans that was held here on Pleasant Beach and at the Pleasant Beach Hotel. And, and, and they, I mean, they came in from everywhere, Seattle, Tacoma, and, and tore down the island. <laughs> they couldn't even house them on the ferry. They couldn't do that. And that was, that was a cultural, those were two African-American fighters that were here. You know, and 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 that story's not even told. People say, "What? What? No way!" Yes. Tell me this: we, we, How long have you been here? Since nineteen ninety-two. Are you familiar with the the school superintendent bringing in David Duke on, on to the school campus for yeah. motivational speaker? Yeah. Were you around when that was around? I, I wasn't invited to that. but that's kind of an example about not being inclusive and making the wrong choices from the people that are supposed to be modeling the behavior that was a school superintendent that brought david duke in (laughs) 
Tell people how they can get your book. Okay. The book is titled Imagine Me, and it's my name is Brenda Fantroy Johnson. It's available on Amazon for $14.99. It's also available at my website, brendafantroyjohnson.com. And it's a, a, a wonderful story. Once you read it, you'll want to pass it on to someone because it's, you know, I always said that, you know, I, I didn't really write it for everybody, but it's going to reach somebody that it's going to help. And that's what it's all about. So thank Beautiful. you. Beautiful. I'll put a link on um, the webpage or okay. the episode notes so people can get that. Yes. Sal. Sir. What's next for the equity uh, task force? So we're or the city is collecting applications for the race equity task force, I believe, through the 24th or the 25th of January. And then either from the 24th or 5th through the 28th or 9th, they're going to be doing the interviews for the people who submitted those applications. You can get the application online at the city's website. Um, we'll give you a link to the application directly. Um, but we want as many people as possible to come out and, and apply for this task force and Whoever you are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your skin color is like. It, like We want everybody on this task force because we hope that that's what Bainbridge Island is. It's a combination of everybody. So they'll be accepting seven people. They'll choose seven. And then there's three council members that are on the task force as well. So that's how it'll be set up. And we hope everybody participates uh, before, during, and after the task force is here. Awesome. All right. Tell me what's going on for Black History Month. Uh-huh. My goodness. So uh, we have some wonderful upcoming celebrations. Uh, Ren will be hosting uh, and partnering with the Bay Museum of Arts and The Latch to have our first Martin Luther King Community Celebration on January the 20th, kicking off at 4 o'clock, 4 to 8. And for the entire month of February, we will be having our Black History Month programs. We kick off on the 10th with our Why Only a Month for um, (laughs) Black History. And we will be having some performances, spoken word. On the 15th, we'll be having a party, a throwdown at BEMA for for all those that want to come in and, and have fun with it's a it's a soiree mm-hmm. and we will, yes and so, live oh, DJ yes. fundraiser yes, it's going to be a party party so it's it's a real party uh, who's the DJ we don't I, we don't have the DJ picked out yet but they will be spinning uh, I heard eighties nineties and two thousands appropriate hip hop and R and B so it's that kind of a it's yeah. gonna, reach out to DJ Sidecar on the on the, on the island okay. he does a gr- great job all right be uh, ready to and, dance and then on our finale. For For the 24th, uh, we will be having our community celebration where the community comes in, we party, we eat, we have performances, and we bring the community together. New Life Community Development Agency will be there. Emmanuel will be there. Latch will be there. BI will be there. Hopefully, Bainbridge Island. Tell me what Latch is. You said that a couple times now. Yes, that's a Living Arts Cultural Heritage Center. Ah. And it is at the Marvin Williams Center in Bremerton, Washington. Back in 2015, uh, we needed to to make sure we had a place that would preserve our our history, our arts, our culture. And so... See, I learned something today. Latch. Yes, the latch. Check it out. Yes, please do. And so... 
just come and celebrate with us for the month of February. Please celebrate with Ren in the community on the 20th for our our Martin Luther King celebration. And we, you know, we we just really want to break down barriers with with cultural exchange. And so um, since um, Bainbridge um, doesn't have culture, African-American culture, as they put it here on the island, we bring in the culture to Bainbridge and we're bringing the communities. This is a question I wanted to ask earlier. How do you define culture? All right. Well, you got a minute? Yes, I do. I we were about to bounce. But. Uh, okay, yeah, we were about to get out of <laughs> no, no, here. No, no, now no, you no, done no. opened up another can of worms. Yes. And this, you know, I define culture as as race, history, heritage, life, arts, the entire gamut. You know, so when you're talking about um, a culture, you can't just put it in one category. Because this island has a, a, a specific culture. And so when you frame it in that, our young people have a specific culture. You know, communities have a, a specific culture. You know, races. I think culture is a group of norms that are accepted by a bunch of people. Yes. Um, so whether they're right, wrong, or indifferent, like hip-hop is a culture. So yes. you can you can agree with hip-hop or what you think that stands for or not. But there is a culture behind it, and it's not just one race or one and so I think race, tra- or excuse me, culture certainly transcends race. Oh, yes. I agree. <laughs> Brenda adds a lot there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You should have threw that in at the last but, You know, norms and morality, yes. those are things that we need yes. to hit on another conversation yes. another day. Right. Yes. But um, I appreciate all of you coming in, Brenda, Sal, and Karen. I look forward to celebrating with you soon. I look forward to having a continued conversation about this topic and others. Last question for you. Yes. Who's bringing the food? Oh, man, the food is coming out the woodwork. We nice. have all kinds of food and, and it's going to be culturally. Potlucks, vendors. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. We're going to make sure you eat well. I mean, that's a part of the celebration. Part of my culture. Uh, that's that's right. I like to when eat. When we can break bread and come together in fellowship like this, cross cultural barriers, now now that's a party. That's a party. That's a real party. Are you baking anything or bringing anything specifically yourself? I'll be yes. cooking up some stuff. Yes. <laughs> You're going to let it be a surprise? <laughs> yeah. Sal, it's you bring any like food the to the table? Uh, I'm bringing something to the table, but it won't be food. I'll probably be <laughs> providing a lot of the beverages for the events. Uh, however, I'll be there to eat all the food with you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who's the eye candy? Who's the eye candy? I don't know. The MC? <laughs> You're the eye You're candy. You're the eye candy, Sal. Okay. <laughs> Sexy Sal. <laughs> That's it right there in a nutshell. All right. Thank you all very, very Thanks much. Thanks so much. Thank oh, you for having us. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.
Thank you.